Season 4 of Lacentic Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K-8. But Book Taco offers printable learning options, too. There are several reading response activities you can print and share with students right now. I'll share some examples of the activities and how to use them later on in the episode. Welcome back to Lidcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, I hope that all of you are taking good care uh, now that just about all of us are working from home, teaching and learning from home, and hopefully staying at home as much as possible. I know that's very hard to do uh, with the modern lives that we lead, but uh, even so, I hope that you're taking good care of those you find uh, most dear and you're staying in touch as best you can. I know that we're doing our very best. Uh, both my husband and I work working from home at the same time, plus our daughter, Natalie, our first grader who's home doing homeschool with us and just the challenges of, you know, being all under the same roof at the same time, all the time, um, but also, you know, missing friends and neighbors and and loved ones. And it was actually really sweet last night. Uh, we had Natalie texting with her great-grandmother um, who's in her mid-80s and uh, almost 80 years older than Natalie, which is kind of amazing to think about. And I was just so delighted that how much joy they were bringing to each other in those simple little texts and all the funny little emojis they were sending back and forth. And I was always, I'm, I'm always very impressed and proud actually of how her great-grandmother has embraced you know, using a smartphone and texting at her age. And um, I know that wasn't easy for her to do, but when she saw the benefits of connecting with those she cares about, um, yeah, she really embraced it and, and has done remarkably well, I think. I was just really impressed and we had a lot of fun chatting with her that way last night. And uh, keep checking in on, like I said, those we care about most, even though we can't uh, be there physically, just doing the best we can to support each other. And uh, I have some news to share with you. It's about the podcast. Um, it's not going anywhere, so I don't want you to think that, but I do have a new concern that um, I've taken upon myself to try to solve this problem, and it really does affect the podcast, and I hope not too negative of a way, and it's something that makes me quite sad, but um, it's really about the read-alouds that we do on the podcast. Um, I Before I started the podcast, I did what I thought was my due diligence of trying to understand copyright law and intellectual property law. And um, by looking up, you know, I, I know that I'm not trying to represent the books that I read on here as though they are my work, because of course they certainly are not. That's very clear, I hope. Um, but just that I wanted to, to expose uh, teachers in particular to wonderful books that they may not know about, um, that may be collecting dust on library shelves at their school, um, or books that, uh, again, are very, you know, amazing and wonderful that you may want to go and purchase. And because I want us to be purchasing wonderful children's literature and sharing it with our students. Um, and that was always my intention um, of the podcast is supporting you and finding wonderful books to share with your students. But what I'm concerned about is um, copyright law and the fair use of those books. Um, and so I actually uh, re-looked up and kind of re-researched um, the copyright law, and it really has come to mind lately because of 
the um, you know international pandemic that we're experiencing right now and all of these different book publishers um, creating new statements and what they feel are new looser regulations temporarily for um, reading books aloud online and things like that. And of course that relates to what we do here on Let's Subject Radio. I have decided that I need to suspend the read aloud portion that I do on the podcast. And this makes me incredibly sad because to me, that's the most exciting part to share with you is a book that I dearly love um, and something that I know that your students will also love and hopefully that you will love too. Um, And just knowing that my only intention was to really curate a collection of what I think are some of the best texts and reveal some teaching and learning ideas that uh, would make you so excited that you'd run out and get a copy of that book for yourself. And that's always been what I've wanted to do. Um, But I am concerned about, um, you know, moving forward and making sure that I'm not in violation of something and or and or even just disrespecting authors and publishers and illustrators. So going forward, I've decided I will still, of course, share the ideas um, that I come up with to go along with the text, but I won't actually do any reading aloud. Um, And it really, like I said, it really does bring me great sadness, but I believe in intellectual property rights and copyright protections. And so I will do my best to still expose you to the amazing texts that I really do love. Um, and I hope that you will keep up your loyal listening and still recommend the podcast to teach your friends because, of course, I still think it has a lot of value for you. Um, and I will continue to put the links on litcentric.com, the links to uh, the books themselves, because, again, I hope you do purchase the books. Um, and if you go to litcentric.com and the listen tab, you can click on any of the seasons there of Litcentric Radio And in the little episode description and the image for the week, um, there will be a button there for you to purchase the book. And of course, as I said, I hope you do. And I hope um, at least in the podcast, I still uh, pique your interest enough to go check out the book for yourself, either from the library or borrow it from someone at school, or hopefully uh, you'll fall in love with it and get a copy of your own. So with that in mind, um, we are going to move forward with a book that I know a lot of you know pretty well now. Um, and it's a book that I really love to use to look at the power of words. And uh, the text is Rosie Revere, Engineer. And one of the reasons I love it, it's a very uplifting book. And there's a, some extremely clever rhyming in it, uh, which I'm just, I think is really remarkable. Um, and some of the vocab in it actually was funny. I wrote down the word perplexed because it, I thought it was, of course, a fabulous word in the book. And when I wrote it, I must have been tired. I wrote perplexed, which I thought, oh, perplexed sounds like a new word I should invent a definition for. (laughs) Um, Sounds like a word my my daughter would have made up when she was little. She came up with a new word. Uh, She said when she was freezing and shivering, she said, I'm frizzering. (laughs) She came up with that. She's probably like two or something. She was really young. And so we still say that at our house, oh, I'm frizzering because it sounds, you know, makes a lot of sense to us. So perplexed, I'll have to come up with uh, with a new uh, definition for that. Um, but anyways, the power of words in this book is some of the vocabulary is so fantastic. And the fact that it's a lot of its rhyming is really cool. So some of the vocabulary students are exposed to besides perplexed are dismayed, dynamo, linger, sputter. There's all these really great great verbs and great adjectives in there. Um, And what I like to use Rosie Revere Engineer for is to expose students to, of course, Rosie the Riveter. 
And uh, hopefully, goodness gracious, at least if you're American, I certainly hope you know who Rosie the Riveter was. Um, but if you don't, uh, it was a poster, a propaganda poster uh, put out by um, the United States government. It was uh, a beautiful poster illustrated by J. Howard Miller, and it came out in 1943. And it was part of um, promoting um, Americans supporting the war effort for World War II. And um, it's a it's a beautiful painting of a very beautiful um, white woman. She has um, dark kind of curly hair, but most of her hair is covered with, um, it looks like a kerchief, but it's more like a turban style thing that's holding her hair up and it's red with white polka dots. And she has these blue coveralls on and she's flexing her bicep um, in the picture. And above it, she has a speech bubble that says, we can do it. Um, and like I said, it's from 1943, so it definitely has an older style to it, but it really also has this timeless quality. And I like to introduce my students to what we mean by propaganda. And the way I define it for them is that really it's a text that attempts to make something popular um, by, by providing either you know information or some uh, language that tries to sway people and get them to think or act in a certain way. And so it's definitely meant to be persuasive. As we know, propaganda is often uh, politically related. And um, of course, this one was as well. But Rosie the Riveter has become a symbol for not just the war and not just, you know, propaganda itself, but um, the idea that women can really, you know, do a man's job, you know, this kind of idea. It's become this symbol of female empowerment and feminism. And uh, I don't necessarily really think that was the initial intention behind it. It was really, yes, we want women, you know, coming to work. We need women as part of the war effort because when so many men um, were sent abroad, you know, to fight in different, you know, military battles and things at that time, women were the only ones who could fill the factories and, and you know, help make airplanes and things like that uh, to send the troops overseas. And beyond exposing my students to this historical perspective and Rosie the Riveter and, and of course, the feminist in me really likes, you know, this message that um, and really kind of the movement that was created beyond it. Uh, what I like to do with students is have them actually create some propaganda posters. And of course, I want them to be a very positive message, just like Rosie the Riveter was. We can do it. It was a very empowering, positive message. And uh, so I want students to create some positive propaganda posters. And I like to frame it in um, posters that are going to encourage fellow students when learning gets tough. Because we know, you know, learning something new can often be very uncomfortable. It involves change, which nobody really likes. Um, and it's a very vulnerable place to be and takes a lot of courage and persistence. And so um, I thought, well, you know, if we're going to actually create propaganda, uh, let's do it for something really positive that hopefully can make a difference for our fellow students. And the task that students do really involves them doing some research and trying out different uh, artwork and different uh, slogans that they write and having um, different people vote on the ones they think are the best. And so they get some instant feedback through the drafting and revising processes um, and then come up with a final product that then we can display and, and, um, and hopefully get those positive vibes going uh, across our school. So we're going to take a look at today's text, Rosie River Engineer, um, by understanding it through that lens of the writing task and the power of words. And as I mentioned, instead of reading uh, the text, which I no longer will do in their entirety, 
um, I thought I could give you a synopsis of the book and then also hopefully read you a quote so you get a sense of what the wording is like and, and how the author's style works. So the uh, summary of this book is that uh, Rosie is a student in Miss Greer's second grade class and she um, loves to invent things and build things and design things, but she's too shy to do it in front of others. She always does it in secret, uh, but she does show them to her family members, at least she did when she was young, and she always got this great you know, response from them. Like she would make like a cheese hat and all these kind of funny things that she thought were you know, very important inventions, and her family loved them. And then one day she shared an invention with her uncle, and he laughed hysterically at it, but uh, he laughed because it brought him so much joy. But of course, Rosie interpreted that as, oh, this invention is silly and it doesn't matter. So that's when she started to um, design things in secret and no longer share her inventions. And then one day, her great-great Aunt Rose shows up for a visit and she's her favorite relative. And uh, she comes along and of course, great-great Aunt Rose was a Rosie the Riveter. So she um, explains a little bit of that to uh, little Rosie and uh, when and she encourages her you know to continue to design things and invent things and build things and when uh, when Rosie has some failure with one of her inventions and her aunt laughs of course she has these terrible flashbacks of you know her uncle laughing and she feels like a failure all over again and and her aunt Rose says well, no, you know, you just, this just shows that your idea actually has merit, right? And you've got to keep going. Like, yes, you failed this first time, but the next failure will be a little bit better and a little bit better and you've got to keep inventing. So she really kind of finds her stride with the encouragement of her aunt. And uh, and then in the end, she no longer, you know, designs and builds in secret. She actually shares and inspires her whole class to kind of um, be more innovative and think this way. So one of the great quotes from this book is when great-great-aunt Rose shows up. And this whole book is written in a long-form poem. And uh, so here's what an excerpt is. It's just one uh, stanza. And of course, this is a quote directly from the text. And that's how it went until one autumn day, her oldest relation showed up for a stay. Her great-great-aunt Rose was a true dynamo who'd worked building airplanes a long time ago. She told Rosie tales of the things she had done and goals she had checked off her list one by one. So you get a sense of, um, you know, of the style of the text and of all of Andrea Beatty's books uh, in this character grouping um, all sound this way. And they're just really lovely. And the cadence is really kind of complicated. And it's just very sophisticated um, poetry storytelling. And I really love them. My daughter loves them. And I know a lot of other parents really enjoy reading these to their children. It's important for the modern classroom to have access to quality online learning materials. And BookTaco offers so many options, including practice activities, games, videos, and more. But what you might not realize is that BookTaco has activities students can do offline as well. When students choose a book from BookTaco's 30,000 plus collection, there are printable activities to match. Everything from plot diagrams to story mapping to nonfiction book reports. It's easy to find a printable to match the text students are reading, no matter the text type or genre. That flexibility makes BookTaco an easy choice for teachers. And speaking of choice, you can leave that up to students or you can turn activities on or off depending on the book, the student, or the time of year. It makes the collection of printables a great tool for differentiating reading in your classroom. 
And because the work is offline, you can quickly identify a printable that matches your instructional needs and make copies for students and have them available for literacy centers or even homework or as assessments to evaluate student thinking. I can see students working collaboratively on BookTaco printable activities in my classroom. Students who read the same book could have a discussion using a printable as a starting point, then complete the task together. Then I'd ask them to write an exit ticket where they reflect on their experience and give an example of how their thinking changed because of their discussion with a partner. It could be really interesting to match up students who read different books too. For example, students could compare two nonfiction texts on the same topic, then collaboratively write a nonfiction book report where they synthesize the information from their research and discussion. Promoting higher level thinking and discourse is so much more doable with a tool like BookTaco. Log on to booktaco.com and download a set of printables today. That's booktaco.com. So when my students and I finish enjoying Rosie Revere Engineer, we like to dive into our propaganda poster uh, writing task. And to do this, we need to design a bridge chart together that is gonna support our understanding of how that particular poster came to mean certain things, um, both in the context of the World War II war effort, and also even how it's come to mean you know, other things um, even today in 2020. And of course, the lesson that accompanies uh, this episode, number 40 of Eccentric Radio, is available at centric.com in the shop tab. That'll take you to, there's a whole tab in there or picture in there that says Eccentric Radio. And that's where you can access the um, growing bundle of lessons that go with the show. So since this is episode 40, that means we already have 40 lessons in there. And um, I give you the actual drawing of what the bridge chart looks like, as well as the text-dependent questions that are going to align really clearly with that chart and the articulated writing task that goes with it. So I give you a, a sense of what that is here, enough that you can definitely try it on your own. And of course, I encourage you to go out and get the book. Um, but if you want the more detailed version, you should definitely check out um, the growing bundle of lessons in that shop tab on thencentric.com. And in that lesson set, I actually can't uh, print the uh, Rosie the River poster because that would be, again, a copyright violation. It's very easy, though, to Google that and find an image. And you would be allowed to print that, I believe, and show that to your students as an example in class. Um, but you can also do what I'm going to do here on my bridge chart is I'm just going to do a quick sketch of some of the portions of the chart. You, but in class, you could definitely show the kids the chart and then just draw lines and label the different symbols that we're going to talk about. So uh, you can decide how you'd like to do that. But just so you know, I will not be printing or making that available. Um, that's definitely something you're going to have to take a look at for yourself and show your students. But for our bridge chart, we are going to create a grid here and it's going to have uh, four squares and it's kind of like a T chart with one side, uh, one column being labeled symbol and the other column labeled meaning. But I do like to kind of draw this grid pattern so kids can actually understand that there are different symbols going on in this one poster because I want them to understand that um, that really the illustrations that children see, or actually even that adults see too, are a really important part of understanding and being literate. And there's definitely some viewing skills that students need to develop in order to use illustrations uh, effectively. And of course, illustrations mean drawings, paintings, 
photographs, graphics, any kind of images, those all fall under that same umbrella of illustrations. And so I described the Rosie the Riveter poster before, and of course, if you haven't seen it or it's been a while since you've seen it, please Google Rosie the Riveter and you'll see the bright yellow poster pop up with the woman and her bicep, you know, we can do it symbol. So for the students, I'm going to outline for them four specific things or symbols that are um, that appear in that poster. And I know that some of them are going to be a little obvious to students and some of them are not. And part of the reason that some of them are not is because there's a historical context lying under there. And part of the other reason is that they're just not necessarily as adept at, at spotting symbols and understanding their meanings as an adult would be because they're young children and they don't have a lot of cultural literacy yet. But this is a really important way that as teachers, we can help build that cultural literacy for our students and uh, and get so they really become you know more educated citizens and have a better and more fuller literate lives. So on this bridge chart, on the symbol side, there's four symbols we're going to be focusing on. One is the headscarf or turban that the woman is wearing in the poster. One is her, you know, arm muscle, the muscle shape she makes. Um, the third one is, um, are actually the three colors, red, white, and blue. And the final one is the text speech bubble part that says we can do it. So those are the four areas we're going to be focusing on. So for students, um, I would just do a quick sketch of what that is and I would label it. So first I would just do a quick sketch of the headscarf and just say scarf uh, and or turban, however you'd like to, um, to phrase that. And then on the meaning side next to that on the chart, we would talk about what does that actually mean? Um, what is that a symbol of? And so the fact that back then, um, there was an expectation that women look a certain way, women of a certain, you know, socioeconomic status anyways. Um, and whether we agree with that or not nowadays, there is some historical basis for that. And um, so this idea that a woman has to now all of a sudden, you know, don men's clothing and go to work in a factory, but yet there is still this expectation that she be made up with makeup and she has kind of perfect hair and somehow still portrays the femininity that was expected of her in that era. And so this idea of this headscarf where she's not wearing, you know, a dirty old baseball cap or just have like a messy bun like we might have nowadays. She actually is all made up. She's got this beautiful scarf slash turban thing on her head that has these feminine polka dots and this bright red color that stands out very much from her coveralls and still exhibits this beautiful, you know, feminine kind of person, but that she's also ready to work, right? So there's this, there's a lot going on in that particular symbol there. And I know that my elementary age students would not pick up on any of that if I didn't explain that to them. Uh, the next one where she does her muscle, I think this one's the one that kids would actually recognize the most where it's trying to represent that she's really strong, right? Because when you flex a muscle like that, kind of like the arm and hammer symbol, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's really trying to show strength. And in this case, they're trying to communicate that women are highly capable, that they are strong enough to do the work that we, we would normally expect the men to do during that time in American history. And um, it's a very clear symbol of, of um, strength there. Uh, the fourth symbol was red, white, and blue. And a lot of times we think of symbols as more concrete objects like the headscarf or the arm. But here, red, white, and blue, of course, symbolizes America. And uh, for those of you around the country who, or around the world, I mean, who um, 
maybe have forgotten the American flag. We've got, you know, red and white stripes and then that blue um, patch with the 50 white stars on it, one for every state. So red, white, and blue, of course, in our country here in states is very patriotic. And uh, that's certainly what the war effort is trying to promote is that, oh, you know, we're all Americans. You need to serve your country. You need to do your part for the troops, you know. And so the red, white, and blue colors are very, very prominent um, in that poster. The only things that don't have red, white, and blue colors really is the yellow background. And of course, red, white, and blue stands out beautifully against the yellow. You could even argue that yellow would be another patriotic color because we sometimes see golden eagles, um, golden tassels, um, you know, golden finials, things like that, along with the American flag. So it would certainly contribute to that idea. So the red, white, and blue colors symbolizing USA, America, national pride. And finally, the we can do it text. That becomes a symbol unto itself. So the idea, first of all, that the woman is not saying I can do it. She's saying we can do it. So that pronoun is going to be really important here because she is trying to communicate that all women have this ability, that all women are strong enough and all women can contribute. So it's a very inclusive statement. And the do it, it doesn't specify what needs to be done, right? It's just assuming you know, you just need to show up and we're going to get this job done. We're going to help the war effort. And uh, in a lot of ways, it was very specific, like, you know, screwing in, um, you know, the rivets on these airplanes. But it wasn't necessarily always just that, right? There was lots of jobs that women were doing uh, in different factory type of settings. Um, but this idea of we can do it is like the job needs to be done no matter what that job is. And all women are capable of, of uh, contributing to that. So there's an awful lot going on in that one particular poster. And again, I don't know if your students could do it, but mine would not be able to make sense of all that underlying information um, without really some support from me. But I think once I explain that to them, they really do start looking at images very differently because they realize, oh, there's actually more being communicated here. So this uh, task and this bridge chart really... Um, really kind of spurs on some really wonderful conversations in class. And it's a great time to start pulling out other images, not just propaganda or war effort related images or even historical ones, but let's pull out, you know, some current magazine ads or even better. I think there's some amazing magazine covers lately that are um, really communicating particular things. Uh, whether we agree with them or not doesn't really matter because what we want students to understand is that they're trying to be persuaded and there's really significant symbolism going on and communication through um, not only the text that's on them, which is arguably very minimal, um, but really those symbols carry so much information and a lot of it's lost on our kids and a lot of them are being manipulated and don't realize it, right? I mean, that's just kind of part of marketing. So it's great to show students, um, you know, these tactics have been around a long time and being aware of them can help you uh, to read and write and understand your world a little bit better. So I really hope that you'll check out Rosie Rivera Engineer. I know a lot of you already own a lot of those books. They are wonderful. We own all of them ourselves in our house. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to showcase it because it's part of a wonderful collection of books by Andrea Beatty. And I hope you check them out. And I hope you look at Rosie Rivera a little bit differently and think about that bridge chart and how much... Um, how many layers of meaning that you can unlock for your students because of your cultural and historical knowledge. 
and uh, read up a little bit on Rosie the Riveter. She's pretty fascinating. There's actually a really great article about her on the history.com website um, about hunting for the true model of Rosie Revere or Rosie Riveter, sorry. And uh, it's also a great one to check out, makes a great text set to share with students. So I hope that you're getting some good quality time to listen into Litcentric Radio um, when you're at home. I hope it helps you kind of relax and, and reflect on school in a positive way. And, and I encourage you to share some of these ideas that you hear on the podcast with your students if you're meeting with them, um, you know, in kind of virtual classroom settings or you're, you know, giving reading and writing ideas out to families. Please use some that you learn on the show to share with them. I would be very excited if you did. And I hope that you'll also be sharing this with your colleagues as well. And if you haven't given us a rating, a review on iTunes before, I would be very grateful if you would, please. If we could get um, five-star reviews and ratings on there, that really helps us to uh, get noticed on iTunes and get in people's feeds and help them uh, discover the show and hopefully get some real value from the ideas that are shared here. As always, you can find me everywhere on social media at Litcentric, and I hope you're taking very good care and have a great day at school no matter what your school looks like nowadays.